As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Started. Welcome to the latest episode of the Shamrock Live. I'm Pete Sampson, back at the Fairfield Inn by the Raleigh-Durham Airport, safely in North Carolina, previewing Notre Dame Duke tomorrow night. So, uh, as usual, if you've got a question, you can hop in the queue. Um, I'll call you to the stage. You can ask your question, and we can uh, chat about whatever's on your mind uh, with Notre Dame football. So, we got a couple questions in there already. So, uh, first up, we're going to go to Derek M., Hey, thanks, Pete. I wonder about the amount of true freshmen playing this year um, and what your impression is uh, of it is. Is it that Kelly left the cabinet bare, that Freeman just has a lot more talent, that there's just a lot of opportunities to mix in these players who are making an impact, there's less of an emphasis on seniority, whatever it is. Just your impressions on the, on the freshman recruiting class and what it means to come. Thanks. I think when I look at the freshman class, I mean, you've got what, Jeremiah Love, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores. I mean, th- those are kind of the big ones on offense. And I think that, you know, offensively, it's probably more of a need-based maneuver. Um, not that, look, Greathouse and Flores, I think in particular, are quite good. And we're going to be hits eventually. But I don't, I don't know if they would be playing nearly as much as they were. You know, but beyond that, you know, we've got certainly Jeremiah Love at running back. As much as I think Great House and Floors are playing because they're really good players, there's also like a need component there. Jeremiah Love is at a freaking loaded position. And I'm not so sure that he's, you know, all due respect to Audric Estime, I'm not so sure that Jeremiah Love isn't the best back on the team um, in terms of pure talent. It doesn't make him the most fitting guy to play, but um, he is a special, special athlete. Um, you know, but beyond that, there's been a ton of guys to play. You know, Christian Gray's got in there a little bit. I think that's sort of a, you know, talent won't be denied there. You know, if Drake Brown hadn't had a concussion, maybe he would have played a little bit more. But uh, I think, you know, in, in terms of freshmen playing this year, it's pretty much on par with what it was under Kelly. I think that the difference is that we're seeing it at wide receiver, which is a position that we just hadn't seen it a whole lot in the past. But if you're a top player and you can help, you know, Brian Kelly would play you. Uh, Marcus Freeman will play you. I'll be interested to sort of see, maybe not tomorrow night, but in the second half of the season, if, uh, you know, somebody like Bubakar Traore plays a little bit more. You know, Cooper Flanagan, maybe more of a, a circumstance issue there. If Eli Raritan is healthy the entire season, I'm not sure that Flanagan has been on the field yet or would have been on the field yet. Um, you know, the offensive line, that's, you know, a developmental position as always, I think, at a place like Notre Dame. You know, Brennan Vernon, there are other years where I feel like he would have been much closer to, um, you know, seeing the field. But I don't know if Marcus Freeman has a different philosophy on playing freshman or not. Um, I think it's sort of too early in his his time at Notre Dame to say. But I do think that the knock on Brian Kelly for refusing to play freshman is was a little bit overdone. I think a lot of that was tied to Jordan Johnson, who just was not good enough to play at Notre Dame. Um, same as he wasn't good enough to play at UCF. But, you know, the second half of the season, I'm interested to see Troy Vernon on the defensive line, if there's any reps to be had there. 
Bowen, Osbury at linebacker, I think are really talented. And then Minnick and Schuler, that is a position I've written about it, podcasted about it. I think safety is, is a spot where Notre Dame, they need better players. Um, I'll be interested to serve either of those guys can can make a difference. All right, Ryan O, you are next up on the Shamrock Live. Ryan, you're on stage. Go ahead with your question. Hey, how you doing, Pete? Great. Uh, I was just wondering if we're going to – if we're going to see more of some of these younger linebackers as the season goes on, kind of like you just alluded to Osbury. Mm-hmm. And also we'll be seeing any of James at wide receiver this weekend with the injuries that are, that the team's dealing with. Yeah. I think that uh, with the younger linebackers, again, if you've got a question, you can hop in the chat or see hop in the queue. I'll call you to the stage. Or if you just want to post it in the chat, that's fine too. But uh, I would say with Braylon James, First, I would be pretty surprised if he played short of Notre Dame really whipping Duke and him getting in first kind of like, you know, quote unquote garbage time at the end. Braylon James, I think, has been a much more developmental prospect than maybe Notre Dame would have thought when they recruited him. But you look at the guy, he is the best looking of the three freshmen or the four freshman wide receivers physically, but also has the longest way to go in terms of understanding how to be a college wide receiver. I know talking to some sources during spring practice, there was almost a little bit of like, whoa, this is even more developmental than most freshmen or or they even would have suspected. I think that sophistication in the offense at high school played a part in that. And that when you hear from Marcus Freeman, he talks about the offense that Jaden Greyhouse played in in high school at Westlake in Austin, or the offense that Rico Flores played in uh, Northern California, Folsom High School, I believe. He's not sort of dropping those by accident. And Jaden Greyhouse, he transferred schools, I think, twice from one school to another and then back to the first school his senior year. I just don't think he has the sort of the football sophistication in terms of his background and development to, to have been ready to go. So, if Braylon James sees the field, I think it's probably going to be in the fourth quarter and Nerdin's up by 28 points. As far as the other linebackers, or, or the linebackers, I should say, I am skeptical that we're going to see a whole lot of them this season other than in blowouts. I know that the fan base is a little bit lukewarm on Bertrand, Kaiser, and Leofau, maybe certainly after last weekend, but... I just don't think that the way Al Golden runs defense, it's complex. There's a lot of checks and adjustments. I don't think that those those freshmen are really close to being ready to go. Um, I mean, I think we've seen Jalen Sneed get in there, and I I think it was it might have been the either the fourth down play or the third down play against Ohio State last weekend down by the goal line in the second quarter. And I mean, you see Jack Kaiser literally telling Sneed what to do, like go over to the left side of our formation. And I think that was the play that ultimately ended up with him tipping that pass uh, that was headed into the ends of Kyle McCord. But I think that the freshman linebackers for how like physically gifted they are all have a long way to go. You know, it's, I, I think that you could say, well, what about the spring game? They look good there. And I'm with you on that, but Notre Dame was essentially playing three defenses. Uh, they had three defensive calls, maybe four defensive calls in the spring game. So it was not a situation where they had to read and react. They had to think or check or adjust as the line. It was just see ball, get ball type stuff. So Osbury, I love. Drake Bowen, I think, is going to be very good too, but probably not this year. I think this year, what I would love to see is Jalen Seed play with more confidence and get some like real live, earn some real live reps where he's like in the base defense um, a little bit more than what we've seen so far. He did get some reps at North Carolina state. I think after Bertrand got dinged and then Jack Kaiser was playing a little bit more at that point. But I think that during the course of this season, I would be pretty surprised if we ever got to a point where Bowen and Osbury were pushing the veteran linebackers for reps. That would still be a situation where I think Notre Dame would have to be in a spot where they were up big on somebody before those guys got serious, serious work. All right, next up, Andrew G. Andrew G, I'm calling you to the stage. You are on the Shamrock Live. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, My question for you is um, what sort of is lost in this whole 10-man controversy is the production points-wise by the offense. And so my question to you is, 
I know that we put up some 40-point performances, but um, I've been particularly unimpressed with with Parker, um, being that he essentially just carried on Tommy Reese's offense. And then, and more specifically, just the lack of play from the outside wide receivers. So I would just like to get your impression. Like, how would you grade Parker so far? Do you think he's a top-tier offensive coordinator? And, and does he really have a future at Notre Dame? I would say, you know, if I was grading Parker, probably a B. You know, and, and this was always the ding on Reese too, right? Like, who cares if you can put up 45 points on um, Tennessee State or uh, New Mexico or UNLV? Like, you know, and, and Chip Long ran into this too. Like, you want to see explosive offense against Ohio State, USC, Clemson. You know, and so far Parker's had one shot at that type of game. 14 points is not enough. He would tell you that because he said that out loud on Tuesday at interviews. You know, it's like the way that they played offense on Saturday, they were never going to score 35 points because they just, they held the ball so long. They played slowly, but that needed to be 28 points. You know, they were had what, I should pull up the box score here, but maybe eight possessions in the game. You're not going to put up 45 points against Ohio State with eight possessions, but you needed to score 28. And they really didn't even get close to that. I would say, you know, the, the production from Parker last week was disappointing. It's weird because in some ways, I, I felt like as I watched the game plan unfold, like I liked what he was doing. Like I, I liked the two back stuff. I liked how they were using Jeremiah Love. When Ohio State played a lot of top down defense to take away the deep shots, I liked that Sam Hartman adjusted and found Mitchell Evans. If you're going to play sort of a slower, more dink and duck offense, it really stresses you from an efficiency point of view because instead of having to make two good decisions that one of them is the 50-yard touchdown or the 75-yard touchdown to Tobias Merriweather or Chris Tyree, you got to make 13 good decisions. And that's, even with Sam Hartman at quarterback, that's difficult to do. So Parker got off to such a good start, but you didn't really know, are those empty calories or not against Tennessee State? Like, NC State is fine I, I would they're not an elite defense by any stretch but I mean tomorrow night against Duke I think is a big proving ground for Parker because I know Duke is not as talented as Ohio State but they play really good defense like they're going to make you earn it over you know 10 12 play drives Duke is not going to give up a lot of explosive plays so I you know is Parker a top tier offensive coordinator in college football I wouldn't say so after five games but I do think how he – like, they need to win a game on offense against some more Power 5 teams. Like, did they win on offense against NC State? I think eventually, yeah, they did. They certainly put them away. And I like how Parker adjusted in that game in terms of, all right, if NC State's going to be hyper-aggressive and fast flow with the linebacker positions, how do we counter that? Okay, we do play action, roll out Sam Hartman, and look for the tight ends. Like, I thought that was a really nice counterpunch that – Parker showed against NC State a few weeks ago, but I think that the the Ohio State game was much more sort of like, it was very cagey, um, was a lot of jabs, no uppercuts, no haymakers, um, and I think you've got to be able to, to have some of those, but, you know, to have those, I think you've got to have receivers who win on the outside, and I, I don't know anybody who watched the game last weekend and felt like, oh, Notre Dame has receivers who win on the outside. There was not a lot of separation, um, not a lot. Uh, certainly, Ohio State's not busting coverages, but not a lot of separation out there. Um, I don't know. I think Jaden Thomas can. I think Jaden Greathouse can. But in terms of receivers who can go up and make competitive catches, like we haven't seen that from Tobias Merriweather yet, um, as much as you, you think that he will get there. Rico Flores, I don't really think we've seen that from him either. So, it kind of goes back to the first question about like, okay, why are Greyhouse and Flores playing? Is this a change in terms of how freshmen are used at Notre Dame? I think those guys are both out there because Notre Dame is is sort of poor at the position. Again, I think those guys are good and probably would be in their rotation regardless, but Notre Dame needs them to step up in a way that's pretty rare for a freshman receiver. So I don't I don't know how you feel about Parker or what, what grade you would give him, but I mean, I, I feel like a B so far, but Tomorrow night is a, a big, big test because you're going against a schematically very sound defense that has some creative pressures. If you're on the athletic, which everyone here is, 
Uh, one of my colleagues did, a, I think, a really interesting film review of Elko's pressures, why they work, how they confuse an offense. It's worth checking out. It's got some good video examples, um, and it's, I think it's something to keep in mind for tomorrow night as you're, you're watching the game. All right, next up, Nick D. Uh, Nick D., I'm going to call you Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. First of all, appreciate all the work that you do. Um, keeping us uh, updated is really great, so we appreciate it. So I got a couple questions for you. First, it feels like in a lot of the big games um, in the past, we have always been at a talent deficit. And mm-hmm. yesterday or last week, it felt like a coaching deficit. Which do you think is easier to overcome, coaching woes or a talent deficit issue? And then my second question is, you can have a beer and conversation with one coach on staff. The only yeah. stipulation is that you cannot talk about football for the entire time. Who are you choosing and why? Ooh, interesting. The coaching deficit, talent deficit. I think a coaching deficit is much easier to overcome because you can you can experience your way to making up that ground opposed to talenting your way um, or recruiting your way. Like, I think that the, the coaching deficit that Notre Dame ran into last weekend was – I think actually somewhat less pronounced than I thought maybe it would be. I mean, it's worth remembering something Ryan Day said via Todd Blackledge during the broadcast that Ohio State had played in a lot of big games and the stage was just like pretty comfortable for them. If you apply that to coaches, like Notre Dame's coaches had not coached on that stage before a whole lot. Um, some of them maybe ever. And I think certainly that showed at the end of the game. When I asked Marcus Freeman about the processes and systems that broke down at the end of the game uh, when he did sort of an audit of the situation, what did he learn? What went out? Obviously he's not going to throw a GA or a position coach or an intern uh, under the bus in a press conference. But I thought it was very telling when he said, you can't get caught watching the game if you're a coach, which to me, I took as somebody got caught watching the game. They got swept up in the moment because it was new, it was different. And look, if you were at that stadium last Saturday, I thought you like you got your money's worth no matter what you paid. I realized the game ended with like a punch through your gut, but um, it was uh, I thought it was an environment that was outstanding. And I think that somebody somewhere in that, either on the coaching box or on the sideline, maybe somebody's got swept up in it. I think that what I've seen from Marcus Freeman, again, this is highly contingent on tomorrow night, but I like the consistency in performance from Notre Dame through five games. They have, I think, come out and sort of, they have not played down to the competition. I think that was sort of a a Brian Kelly gripe. And I think that they have kept their foot on the gas in some moments too, particularly at NC State. Like if if you want to continue to to mess around with Notre Dame, like Marcus Freeman is like, all right, you'll find out. Like we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep being aggressive. I like the go for it on fourth down in both instances last week against Ohio State. I just hated the calls. So I feel like the coaching deficit part is something that you can make up through experience. Notre Dame's coaching staff got some big, big time experience last weekend against Ohio State. Um, Those lessons were not always good, but I think they were all valuable. Opposed to recruiting a whole new roster of five-star prospects, as we've seen, that's really tough. Um, so I, I think watching film and figuring out, hey, this is what uh, this is what it takes to. This is what I would call here, or this is the the game plan, or the counter here. Like that, I think is something Marcus Freeman and his staff can learn as they go. As for the staff question, who would I want to have a beer with? That would just be sort of an interesting conversation. I would tell you if I was if the question was coffee, it would be Chancey Stuckey. He is a really good conversationalist. You don't need to talk about talk to him about football to have uh, sort of an interesting interaction there. But if I couldn't talk football with anybody else, like Stucky is, is sort of a cop out there. Parker is really interesting. I think it would probably stray to youth sports, though. So I don't know if like peewee flag football would uh, be disqualifying for him. He is an interesting guy that the if you were a fan or just like you ran into him and had like a quick five minute conversation, I, I think you would find him very likable. This will sound strange, but like in my time covering Notre Dame football, there have not been a ton of coaches that you would want to maybe automatically spend time with away from football. Uh, if you could, maybe they're all ball all the time, or they, you know, sometimes there are coaches that I've covered. It feels like you're splitting the atom. Um, that's how they the seriousness of their job. You know, there are other ones that surprise you, like 
not the beer with Harry Eastand, but I've run into him just out and around South Bend. And super pleasant guy. If you catch him in the right moment, I also ran into him at the South Bend Farmer's Market one time. He was carrying a hatchet to be sharpened. I did not talk to him uh, in that instance. But Clark Lee would be probably number one on my list. It's probably no surprise if you listen to the independent podcast with Matt Fortuna or the old version of the Shamrock when he came on. We're both big Clark Lee fans. And that I have gotten together with for a beer. And we didn't talk football for an hour because it almost feels like you're wasting your time if you're spending time with Clark Lee and you're going to spend it talking about blitz packages and nickel coverages. So this staff currently, I think Chancey Stuckey is probably the guy you'd want to get together with the most. Jared Parker would be in there. I would be very interested to like play a round of golf with Al Golden just to sort of get him away from football because he's very serious when he's in for interviews. I think that there there is a personality there that maybe hasn't come out a whole lot. But um, overall, Notre Dame staff, pretty easy to get along with. Joe Rudolph, I don't know. It seems like he would be a pretty easy guy to converse with. You know, Mike Mickens, the same way. I don't really know Al Washington that well outside of football. I know people speak highly of him as a personality. So this staff is a lot younger. And, like, the head coach is in that group, too. You run into him outside of football, he's very easy to talk to. So, it's a pretty easygoing staff that way, but uh, Chancey Stucky would be top on the list for this staff. Clark Lee, maybe number one of all time to answer your question. All right, Andrew R., you are next up on the Shamrock Live. Andrew R., go ahead with your question. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks, Pete. Question for you. It felt like last week's game plan. We, we brought in uh, Sam Hartman, one of the top quarterbacks in the portal, and we played a game plan that could have been played with Drew Pine or Ian Book or Tyler Buckner at quarterback. And I heard on a podcast this week, uh, someone brought up the fact that Marcus Freeman, when he played ball at Ohio State, he played trestle ball. That's kind of his foundation. And I'm kind of wondering how much of the game plan in, in a big game last week was, is that what Marcus believes in? You know, uh, holding, playing it tight, you know, valuing possession and, and grinding it out as opposed to really trusting his superstar quarterback to take shots and go out there. I guess I'm wondering where the difference is. Is that, is that Marcus? Is that Parker? And, you know, what's your thoughts are on that? It's an interesting question because at, at heart, Marcus Freeman is Jim Trussell, uh, but a much more modern tailored version of it. You know, in terms of how he communicates, I think how he sees football, how he sees programs being built from the inside out. These big moments, and I don't think we've seen enough big moments. Like, certainly you have Ohio State last year, but I think that game plan was a function of, like, holy crap, can we stop them? Also, we can't throw the ball at all. This year's felt like, I agree with you, it felt like Ian Book could have executed last week's game plan. Maybe even better than Sam Hartman did, because Ian Book would have got the first down probably on both of those scrambles. But I'm not ready to say, like, okay, Marcus Freeman gets conservative by nature in, in big games because I don't think we've seen enough of them. I thought set last Saturday was more a function of, okay, we don't have receivers who are going to win on the outside right now. And we're going against a secondary with some some dudes out there. And we're very talented at running back. And we just got Mitchell Evans back who opens up the run game in a way that if it's just Holden stays and Davis Sherwood, I don't think that you can much in the run game as you can with Stays and Evans. So did they get conservative? Yeah, I think that's fair. I also think Ohio State put a top on the defense. And I asked Parker about that this week, about the concept of like, okay, do you need to take more shots than than what you did last week? And he said, yeah, there's you you're one, you gotta, you gotta be calculated, and then you you but you have to work to get the defense to give you like the look. Ohio State's not going to bust coverages like Central Michigan did. He said, we just didn't hit. We got one pass interference or hold on the one, and then we missed a couple that were right there. If you hit those, it changes, but you got to be careful when you take them. You're always thinking about risk-reward efficiencies and not being in lost yarded situations, which we did a good job of. But there is a balance of how much calculated you can be when you want to risk it to stay ahead of the chains. If you have to risk it, those are things I'll evaluate myself this week and week out. Uh, we'll make sure that we take enough risks to put points on the board because we all know 14 points is not enough. We'll challenge ourselves to make sure it is. That's the honest truth. I think that, you know, the taking deep shots 
okay, what what's the risk when you take deep shots? Uh, then then you're suddenly in first in second and ten, right? Well, second and ten is that's how you go three and out. Uh, and Notre Dame didn't have one three and out last week. I thought they they got very close to. It was an earlier question about Parker. They got very close to making sort of the twelve play drive style work. You know that you look at their drives. 14 plays, 7 plays, 5 plays, 8 plays, 13 plays, 11 plays. The worst one being the 5-play 16-yard drive to end it. So I thought they did a good job of staying on schedule. But it's like staying on schedule is kind of boring because you're not taking deep shots very often. And I just – I think until Notre Dame has receivers who can win one-on-one outside that being aggressive, taking deep shots just doesn't make – as much sense as I would like it to make, or probably even Jared Parker would like it to make, or you would like it to make. But you're right. It's like you look at the game plan last week and think like, for starters, I don't think Drew Pine could have run that game plan. But I do think Ian Book could have won with that game plan. And that's not something I thought I was going to say at the end of the night when it began. I just, honestly, I am not. I'm, don't feel like Hartman played close to his best game. I think he started off, what, 9 of 10 and finished maybe 10 of 20? know something in that realm so it was he got off to a good start ohio state adjusted i just i don't think hartman adjusted with them looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, next up, Sean G. Sean G, uh, called you to the stage. You are next on the Shamrock Five. Hey, Pete, thanks for taking my question. Um, yeah. Real realize that this is thinking ahead a bit, but I wanted to... Just get your take on New Year's Six Bowl games, uh, because you're always my go-to with the conference Mm. alignments and the cycling through of bowl games, you know, what's a playoff game, what's not. And I wanted to just get your thoughts at this point. If Notre Dame beats, um, or excuse me, if Notre Dame loses to USC, but then wins out, finishes 10-2, and do you think that's enough to get them into a New Year's Six game this year? Yeah, that's probably so. Um, And I realize it's sort of a, a... kind of a half-assed answer, but um, there there have been cycles where the bull, rotating bull contracts for the New Year's Six made it very difficult for a 10-2 and two Notre Dame team to make the New Year's Six based on the sort of contracts with the games themselves. This is not this is not one of these years. This is the most wide-open rotation that Notre Dame could ask for where the Fiesta is two at-large teams. The Peach is two at-large teams. The Cotton is two at-large teams. The Orange Bowl is still the ACC champion goes there, and you know, decent chance the ACC champion won't be in the playoffs. So that that's a slot locked up. And then it could be Notre Dame, but probably not at ten and two. So th- then it's versus a SEC Big Ten team in that in that spot. But there have been years where like there's only been one or two at-large bids for Notre Dame, and then it becomes very sticky to get bid to one of these games. So I I think that the teams to watch, if you're Notre Dame, a Notre Dame fan looking like, I want to go see, or want Notre Dame at, at a big-time bowl, I think LSU, Alabama, Penn State, and those those to me are the teams that, like, you're looking at and think, like, all right, did they, you know, and, and then the ACC, because if the ACC makes the college football playoff, 
that will bring up the ACC number two, opposed to having like an, a Penn State or an Alabama or an LSU make the playoff. I know nobody wants LSU in the playoff, but hear me out. You just want sort of options there if you're Notre Dame. You want the four teams in the playoff to be from four different conferences most years because there's not a uh, the contract games where, uh, you know, if, if the Sugar Bowl was a New Year's Six game instead of a playoff game, that would be a SEC Big 12 game. And that sort of locks Notre Dame out of that as a game. There are, you know, the Rose Bowl, obviously, with the Big 10, Pac-12. If that was a New Year's Six game instead of the playoff game, that would lock Notre Dame out for a New Year's uh for for your sixth bid there as at large because there's just not as many at large bids so this is a good rotation I think ten and two will be enough you know it's like what kind of ten and two would that look like it's I realize nobody wants Notre Dame to lose to Duke and then run the table but that would put Notre Dame on a six game win streak to close the season that would include wins over USC and at Clemson like. At that, and you know, your losses are to Duke and Ohio State, which is highly respectable. That would pretty much lock up a New Year's Six bid, in my opinion, because Notre Dame would be a hot team uh, with a huge road win and a home win against probably the Pac-12 champ, so or at least a Pac-12 championship game participant. So, to me, this is a good year for a New Year's Six bid if you're Notre Dame, based on how things break down, and if they get one. I feel like that would be a successful season for Notre Dame. And if they can get to a New Year's Six game and win it, that would sort of get one of these sort of 30-year program monkeys off the back of this place, which I think went into why last Saturday hurt so much to watch for the fan base. It's like it was an opportunity to push back on all the dramatic losses that Notre Dame has had since Florida State in 1993. And they just, they did not get that done. So if we have any que- more questions from the queue, you can hop in there. I'll call you to the stage and you can ask it. But I'm going to scroll through the chat now until then. Anthony P. wants to know, how do you think Al Golden will defend Duke's quarterback ability to make plays with his feet? More zone to keep defenders facing him or employ a spy? And, you know, look, Riley Leonard, highly mobile quarterback. Um, when you talk to Notre players during the week, they compared him a little bit to Brennan Armstrong at NC State. Last year, Riley Leonard was Duke's leading rusher in carries, yardage, and touchdowns. Uh, This year, he's, I think, second in that. He's only thrown two touchdown passes as well. So it's they will run him a lot. If Duke had played only Power 5 teams, he would probably lead Duke in attempts and in yardage. It's uh, this is something to track tomorrow because I don't think many of us go into games thinking of the quarterback. Sometimes the quarterback is a run threat, sure, but rarely is the quarterback the biggest run threat. And I think that's the case with Riley Leonard. I'm going to pull up his uh, game log here because um, I, I think it speaks to how he'll get used tomorrow. Like against Connecticut and Lafayette, when um, Duke absolutely hammered them, he only had four carries in those games. Against Northwestern and Clemson, the only two Power 5 teams Notre Dame had played, or Duke had played, he had 21 carries in those games uh, and averaged 97.5 yards and one and a half rushing touchdowns. He's averaging 8.2 yards per carry, which is a huge number. And so I, I think you you sort of have to view Notre Dame, or Duke as having every every play as a double run threat. You know, do you spy that? I don't know if you do because I I don't th- I don't think that Riley Leonard's biggest threat is scrambling as much as zone read where it keeps it. So that that to me is the big sort of check for Notre Dame tomorrow night is how do you keep Riley Leonard check accounted for in the run game because if you account for him in the run game it removes a defender from coverage. But I'm not sure that Riley Leonard the passer is quite what um, I think he's got a little bit of like, ooh, hot NFL draft prospect buzz uh, right now on him, which I think is a little bit premature. Um, Last year, he threw 20 touchdowns and six interceptions, but he had 114 carries for 636 yards and 11 rushing touchdowns, or excuse me, 124 for 699 and 13 touchdowns, average 5.6 yards per carry. That, I think, is the big test. I don't think you defeat that with a spy. 
I think it's almost like option football, just if the quarterback could throw. I mean, you look at some of the big games he had. North Carolina, 14 carries, 130 yards. Miami, 14 carries, 61 yards. BC, 13 carries, 96 yards. Kansas, 10 carries, 54 yards. Uh, the Bowl of Central Florida, 10 carries, 63 yards. So he is against Power 5 competition. Like when Duke gets into an offensive situation where they are stressed, Riley Leonard will keep the ball. I would anticipate him having 10, 12 carries tomorrow night and Notre Dame just beating the crap out of him as much as humanly possible um, until he doesn't want to keep the ball anymore. I think that's that's the approach more than being passive and keeping a spy on him is I think you get aggressive and you you try to heat him up as hum- as much as possible. And I think Notre Dame has the linebackers to do it. All right, I'm going to go back to the queue. Chase G, your last hope here for a question. Oh, Chase G, can, can, you, uh, can you hear us? And go ahead with your question. Patrick R, you'll be up next. Uh, good timing. Well, speaking of Riley's, um, what do you think of Riley Mills' performance thus far this year? He, um, you know, watching the broadcast, you don't hear his name called a lot, um, mm-hmm. but I'm curious if that's more him not meeting his freakish expectations or if he's just asked to play kind of that eat-up-the-middle kind of responsibility on the D-line. I think Riley Mills, when the season started, I expect I expected him to have, like, a, a great uh, season – I think it would be a stretch to say that's happening right now. Although, interestingly enough, if you look at, again, the pro football focused grades are sort of for entertainment purposes only. It was Howard Cross was one and Riley Mills was two last week in terms of the overall performance by Notre Dame defensive players, uh, any position. I think that his season so far has been a little underwhelming because it has a chance to be overwhelming, uh, if that makes sense. Like, he probably has not been as – I'm not as down on him as maybe some other people are. Um, again, for the season, Riley Mills' PFF grade is actually third on the defense behind Howard Cross, who was number one, uh, and Jack Kaiser, who was number two. If you looked at Mills and thought – I mean, you just look at him standing here. Like, you have to be a dominant player. I don't think he's been a dominant player to date. He has it in him. I don't think a lot of it is – scheme it may be offensive scheme in terms of how much he gets doubled Howard Cross I feel like gets off blocks incredibly well and is very quick and I I would probably try to double him more than teams do but if they're doubling Mills they can't double cross and I think that that's how a lot of teams have played it today but I thought Riley Mills played well last weekend like I thought he would have more of like a a box score impact than he's had um, but he certainly holds up at the point of attack and gives Notre Dame a presence there at uh, the interior defensive line that they need. But um, I, I think in terms of overall his season, I just, I thought there would be some more hits or hurries or sacks or TFLs. Um, I mean, where Notre Dame is right now in terms of sacks and TFLs is, is pretty low nationally. I didn't think that Notre Dame would necessarily be like an elite TFL team this year, but I did think they would be better than where they are, which is 130th nationally uh, in terms of TFLs per game at just 3.8, which is strange because overall the defense's statistics are, I think, are quite good. Number two in pass efficiency defense. Um, they're top 10 in yards per play allowed, scoring all of that stuff. So I think the defensive line has, it has, the pass rush has not been there. That was a concern going into the season. But I think in terms of its ability to hold up at the point of attack, it's probably been better than what I thought. And, you know, Riley Mills is part of that solution, whether he's making the plays or not. You know, I think his role has been a little bit more of a space eater and eating double teams than than I would have expected. All right. If you've got a uh, question, we've got, uh, you know, another 10 minutes here, but uh, you can hop in the queue and I'll call you to the stage. But uh, I'm going to scroll the chat for a few more. Oh, there we got Daniel K. I think that uh, if you can hang up on somebody in a live room chat, I think I accidentally hung up on you. So, Daniel K., you're on stage. Go ahead with the question. Hey, Pete, how's it going? Great, great. Do you think Mike Elko is concerned that this game is being played in North Carolina and Maris Leofau is on the other team? (laughs) That's a great point. You know, I I really should have written that into my preview uh, that the geography of this game favors Maris Leofau. Leofau's performance against Ohio State was so off the mark from where he had played this season, particularly the NC State game. Uh, And then Marcus Freeman revealed during the week that Leofau played with a he had a stinger. I was told by a source that he didn't really take any of the team contact periods last week at practice. 
I think it showed on Saturday. If I if I was Al Golden, I probably would have subbed in Jack Kaiser for at the will linebacker, at least for last week, and let Leafau rest up and then have a full week of practice, which he did this week. If I was Mike Elko, I'd be a little bit concerned because it's like there was an earlier question, I think, from the chat about, you know, how you defend Riley Leonard as a dual threat quarterback. Um, you know, do you spy him? I think you get aggressive with him, and I think the guy you get aggressive with him is Leofau. I think you just sort of send him screaming into the backfield to take the quarterback at the mesh point and blow up Leonard as much as you can. Uh, that's That part of the game plan would seem to be very customized for Notre Dame's starting will linebacker. So maybe there will be good North Carolina vibes down here. Uh, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow night. But good good point on the geography. All right, Ryan B., I'm going to call you to the stage. Ryan B., you're on the Shamrock Live. Go ahead with your question. Uh, yeah, thanks for doing this, uh, Pete, yeah. as always. I just wanted to check, do you see um, Notre Dame utilizing the like tight end in the passing game as much as they did last week against Ohio State? Because I just think that um, if they can kind of do that with the tight end against Ohio State is Duke's kind of secondary and linebackers more vulnerable than Ohio State was. It's interesting because I think that in terms of the strengths and the weaknesses of the team, like Duke's secondary is is the strength of that group. Um, I think their defensive line is pretty good. Linebackers, less so. So I think that the, the pass game could look a little bit like it did last week where there's a lot of emphasis on checkdowns and short stuff and, and just keeping the chains moving, which I think is Mitch 11's territory, Holden State's territory too. So I would think there would be a lot of tight end focus tomorrow. Also, in part because Notre Dame is really short at receiver, and you know the most reliable threat they have out there, frankly, is is Estimane. Stays might be second with Thomas out, uh, and then you're then you're working into the running backs in the past game too. So, I hope that, and this kind of goes back to an earlier question about Jared Parker. I hope that there's a few more sort of calculated deep shots in there to keep Duke honest, and then you know see if Greyhouse or see if Flores or see if Merriweather can go make a play in a moment that should not feel as stressed as it was Ohio state where your every snap and every possession feels like it's so precious. I think that if you're going to keep the chains moving, if you're going to feed estimate, if you're going to do some more two back stuff, then I think the tight end dovetails into that and sort of keeps the chains moving. I just think that Notre Dame can be a little bit more aggressive for multiple reasons, but and, you know, and one of them is like they're not blocking an all-American defensive end. They're not blocking NFL prospects on the defensive line like they were last week. So that should give Sam Hartman more time. If it does, um, then maybe you can stretch the field a little bit more. And that's not to say the tight ends won't be involved in the passing game in that realm, too. I think Holden stays down the seam. Mitch Levin's down the seam. I would love to see it. I'd love to see, you know, some of the stuff they did at North Carolina. So, um the Titans have to be a focus tomorrow um, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is like, I just don't think Notre Dame has the receivers out wide to to keep a defense honest on their own. Uh, they're going to have to have tight ends help with that. All right, next up, Sarah G calling you to the stage on the Shamrock Live. Let's see if you pop up. Hi. Hi. That's my mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi, Sarah G's mom. Uh <laughs> it's Mary G. Yeah. Thank okay. you. <laughs> All right. Hi. I wimped out last week, like the fourth down Notre Dame offense. So I wanted to make sure to get on. So my question is, I know you're talking about on Irish Illustrated how historically, and if you already asked this, I'm sorry, I'm just popping on, but how we historically rebound pretty well after these bad losses. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I think about is 2014. Yeah. So... Like, what happened with 2014? And please say that you don't see any sort of comparison to this year and that year. Yes. Notre Dame has, like, four season-ending injuries on defense tomorrow. Then I will 100% say there was a comparison to 2014. I have never seen Notre Dame's defense collapse in a season like it did that year. They By the end of the year, they were starting a third-team tight end again at nose tackle against USC. They were just beaten to death by injuries um, on that side of the ball. And so that's like, I don't even really consider that as a comparison point at all because Notre Dame has been relatively healthy. Like 
Jaden Thomas having a pulled hamstring is not the same thing as Joe Schmidt, who was the team MVP a year before, breaking his ankle and being out for the season and the entire defense collapse. So uh, Notre Dame is much healthier than 2014, and I think that this, in theory, should have a, many more comparisons to 2000 after Nebraska, where I think they won 9 of 10, or the Bush-Bush follow-up, I think they won six in a row. You know, the Georgia games, those ended up being very, very good seasons for Notre Dame. This feels a lot more like that to me, because 2014 was just such a hot mess of injuries and really um, scattered quarterback play from Everett Golson. Like, we're not going to get that from Sam Hartman this year. So those are two the two things. The two biggest things are availability and quarterback play for a team, and this doesn't have any of the similarities to 2014 and hopefully it won't it's got a lot more of the vibes of those other games that i mentioned so sergi and your mom um i think you can hopefully rest easy if we get through tomorrow night and the defense is healthy all right jacob k you are next up on the shamrock line jacob k you're on stage go ahead with your question hey pete great seeing you at the tap house on friday uh last night uh maybe i'll see you on usc friday night as well because i'll be flying up for that game so I know I don't remember if it was this year or last year you had uh, spoken previously about uh, Marcus Freeman changing the off day during the season from like mm-hmm. Monday to, from Sunday to Monday. And so I was wondering, is that still the case where Monday is a working day for the team? And if so, how does four consecutive night games play a role in that Sunday being a work day, especially when two of them have travel involved? So earlier this at the beginning of the season, Freeman changed the uh, Sunday Monday workday. He flipped it to back to how it was under Brian Kelly, where Sunday is an off day and Monday is a, a work day. Talking to some players, not that they would go on the record with it, the ones that I talked to at least did not like the Sunday workday at all. And I think that Freeman, while he didn't come out and say like, "Yeah, that was the pretty unpopular," and I let the players decide, there were at least a few players that were like, "Thank you, thank you for moving this." back to how it was before where you can get Sunday as a full rest day, catch up on whatever schoolwork you've got um, because you're not doing a whole lot of it on Saturday. And that, I think it just lets their bodies heal and they sort of get back at it Monday and it feels like more of a a typical week. So, and it's like, if he didn't make that change, the four straight night games would almost have forced it. Um, Especially the Louisville ones where you're getting back at three in the morning. I mean, the, the most important part of, recovery is sleep and Nurem has is not getting a lot of it these next couple of weeks. They don't get a lot of it uh after Ohio State and USC. I mean, I think Joe Wall, if you heard um the Wake Up the Echoes podcast, which is Notre Dame's sort of internal production, which is pretty interesting. Listen, I think they're doing a good job with it. Um Joe Walt was on and I said I believe he said he went to bed either at three AM or five AM after watching the game three times. That's not really a sustainable lifestyle, even for a college kid. So that's that's how I look at it and say, like, all right, Sunday workday would have been a disaster with this season. Marcus Freeman cha- fortunately changed it long before the season turned into this night game slog that we're in the middle of right now. Because, yeah, I, I think the players just looked at him and be like, look, we need, we need some time off to sleep, to get it, all of our other stuff in order, um, and then hop back into it Monday. And it seems like the players uh, have liked it. That's... You don't hear any complaints about Sunday off day, Monday work day. You did hear complaints about Sunday work day, Monday off day. All right, we got time for a couple more. If you if you've got a question, um, you can hop in the queue. I'll call you up. But um, <laughs> all right, Andrew G. What if Michigan State throws a lot of money at Freeman? Would ND risk losing him, or you think they would extend him? Maybe Michigan State will do that. I think Marcus Freeman like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, I think we were all looking for a catharsis this week. Mine was when a East Lansing radio host asked me to come on a show to talk about Marcus Freeman and the speculation about him at Michigan State. And I just sort of teed off on the Michigan State fan base. Um, if I had a, 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 I think I would definitely put it on on X or Twitter um, so you can get a laugh out of it. But um, that was my venting for the week because Marcus Freeman is not going to Michigan State. He is very well paid at Notre Dame. Would they extend them? Probably. I think that if this, especially if this season goes to 10 and two, you know, you're in a spot there where, you know, after two years you're sort of earned maybe a little bit more or a sweetened deal in some ways, because you feel like the program's in good shape. I 
you know, the trend lines here are still good as, as painful as last Saturday was. I think that overall you feel pretty solid about where Notre Dame football is going after Duke Louisville, USC, you may feel more than that. So I had a good time getting into it. Although he did a lot of listening. I did a lot of talking uh, with the Michigan state radio uh, show up in East Lansing. Um, I did feel bad calling the Michigan state fan base insane, but not that bad. All right. Uh, we'll go back to the queue. Andrew R call you to the stage here on the shamrock live andrew r go ahead with your question all right uh real quick pete just i wanted to uh get your thoughts how fortunate are we to have benjamin morrison on this team i thought he played lights out last weekend and we're i think he's got the potential to be one of you know an all-time great irish uh, irish corner benjamin morrison i think it's just I mean, he is a perfect fit for Notre Dame. He's a stud cover corner guy. Um, you know, did have at least one really bad missed tackle last week that led to a first down. But um, how often have you seen Notre Dame have to build its entire defense almost like triple coverage an elite receiver? And there were times last week where they let Ben Morrison just go at Marvin Harrison Jr., it would have been a much it would have been a much more fitting way for the game to end if Ben Morrison had picked off a Kyle McCord pass in the end zone on Ohio State's final drive instead of um, the way that it did end because I thought Ben Morrison just was a big big time stud last week um, against the pass. But yeah, Notre Dame very fortunate to have him. Um, I wrote a big feature on him on the Athletic last week where I actually went out to Phoenix last spring and spent some time at his high school. Um, had breakfast with his dad. Um, got to know, talk to his older brother. Notre Dame is very fortunate that he's on the team. There's, they're very fortunate that someone like Ben Morrison exists because um, it's just there are not a lot of Benjamin Morrisons in college football in terms of the personality, the academic profile, um, the faith-based background. Um, who wants to, you know, as Marcus Freeman talks about the whole choose hard thing, like Benjamin Morrison was, was that guy. Um, and so Notre Dame is very fortunate to have him. I think he will be a captain next year, probably onto the NFL after that. Um, but man, if, if, even if they only get three years out of Benjamin Morrison, it's, we're about halfway through it right now. The hell of a good three years, man. He's a special, special player. And I think it's easy to root for, easy to gravitate towards uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan. So all right, well, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap it up there uh, on this week's episode of the Shamrock Live. Next week, sort of to be determined, I'm traveling to Louisville early, but working on a story um, that might take me away from my phone around noon on Friday. But we'll figure something out. We'll definitely do something um, next Friday when I'm down in Louisville, probably at the next Fairfield, and as I tour the country, uh, staying at Marriott Properties. So... Until then, I appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate the questions from listeners and their moms here on the Shamrock Live. Enjoy the game tomorrow night when Notre Dame takes on Duke.